Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Hello, friends. Welcome back again to another great episode of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Today, I get to speak with Patricia Sandoval. She is an international pro-life and chastity speaker who has appeared on countless, countless television and radio shows. She's also co-hosted shows on EWTN. Um, She has dual citizenship in the United States and Mexico and throughout Latin America, and throughout Latin, Latin America, if I could say it, is regarded as a primary voice for the unborn chastity and post-abortion healing. She's been actually traveling Latin America for a very long time and um, would be what some would call quite the big deal there. Uh, we are very happy that her message is is finally making its way back to where everything really started here in the United States. Patricia shares her message of God's mercy, healing, and really the gift of life. And she does this to just, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people all across the globe. Uh, Patricia is someone who I was just recently introduced to because we were both speaking at a pro-life conference at Rutgers University um, in the fall of 2019. And it was, her story rocked me. I, I I truly mean that. I have such an amazing uh opportunity to hear amazing speakers um from all different walks of life share share their share their testimonies and share faith or theology and i i always just learn so much but you always come across that those those few that just rock the boat and their passion their courage their strength uh, is so apparent and so authentic. And Patricia was definitely was one of those. Um, I got to chance, I got a chance to hear her speak after I spoke at the conference and I sat down and, um, I mean, friends, I was in tears multiple, multiple times and not just because I'm pregnant, but I really, really was. Um, her story really, really is something that everybody I do hope, um, will listen to and really, and share. Um, and, and, you know, she, uh, I mean, obviously is the, is the perfect fit for a podcast like this as somebody who's truly doing something beautiful for God and sharing her life and her heart and sharing parts of her life that are not great. Um, I can definitely relate to that, but she's got such courage, you know, just like, just like the woman in John four, the woman at the well who goes back into the town she goes back where everybody knows who she is, and she has the courage to speak truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So I am so excited for you to hear her story. It's quite amazing. It is really, it is, a, it is an insane story of the things that she's been through. And on top of that, she mentions, she mentions a ton of stuff that all kind of wrapped up into her story of really what, what brought her to a place to, to choose certain choices and, 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 and to go down certain paths. Um, I, even though I know, I, I guess I felt like I know quite a bit, but hearing firsthand someone be, be like grabbed and almost brainwashed by Planned Parenthood, it, that part of the story still 
sticks with me. And I'm really excited for you to hear that in particular, because it's just really, it's really disturbing. And unfortunately, it's just something that we still need to know though. And we need to be able to understand what's really going on and the battle that we really are fighting when it comes to abortion and when it comes to Planned Parenthood and all those involved. So, 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 so without further ado, please help me welcome Miss Patricia Sandoval. Hi, Leah, and hi, everybody listening. I'm very, very honored and excited to be here on your podcast. So thank you so much for this invitation. Thank oh, my you. gosh. I, you are so welcome. I am happy you said yes. I heard you, and I was <laughs> like, well, you know, I mean, it's your story is so good, and what you're doing with your life and everything is so beautiful. I know it's not easy. I know it's not perfect, but I'm so thankful that you are doing the work you're doing. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We have, I really want people to, to know you. Um, I am almost a little frustrated that I did not know about you and your story before um, this past November. So I just feel like um, let's get going because I want more people to hear about this. Your story actually started um, here in the United States when you were a teenager, right? Or actually even before you were a teenager, really, when everything really kind of started to, to wrap up. So maybe you could kind of walk us through kind of like what laid the ground to, to have everything kind of this huge momentous occasion happen in your life. Right. Well, um, I have an older sister and a younger brother. So it was five of us in my family. And we would say we were Catholic. We were baptized into the faith, but we really never practiced our faith. We never prayed as a family. Um, we didn't even own a Bible. We were pretty much worldly, um, very material um, after the things of the world. And so I obviously didn't get that chastity talk when I was, um, you, know, at, you know, at home when I was young. My parents didn't have the proper formation. Now, my parents um, migrated to the United States. They're, they were both born in Mexico. So in a Hispanic family, talking about sex is basically kind of a no-no. It's pretty shameful, pretty embarrassing. Um, and then usually, you know, parents don't have that formation to give to their kids. So my parents can give me something that they didn't have. So I did not know when I was young that my virginity was a treasure. It was something that I had to preserve, take care of, and that God actually probably, you know, had somebody for me. I mean, he does have somebody for you when your vocation is marriage, but I didn't know these things. And my mom um, signed a permission slip when I was in the sixth grade, giving me permission to attend a sexual education course uh, that Planned Parenthood was going to give. So I you know, go to school one day and it was a day that Planned Parenthood was coming to give us this course on sexuality. And I remember when I get to my desk, there's a banana and there's tons of condoms, you know, around this banana. And I remember looking at all the students. I mean, I want to remind everybody I was 12 years old in the sixth grade and this was 1992. I was still playing with Barbies and dolls and I mean, I was still playing with, you know, my mind was pretty much innocent still. I mean, I never thought about sex. I just point. think it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Me too. At 12 years old, I mean, but I mean, I think it's crazy to know that Planned Parenthood is starting their education uh, brainwashing that young. Now, like, I know of that now. I know that's going on now, but this is 1992. That's correct. And you know, I, it's all a trap. You know, it's, they wanted more, uh, you know, how do we obtain 
future abortion patients. Well, you know, parents aren't educating their children about sexuality, so we will be their, you know, sexual educators. And I fell in this trap, you know, they, they basically taught us how to practice safe sex. Um, you know, they, they talked about birth control. They talked about uh, masturbation, even at, you know, 1992, they told us it was very healthy. You know, it relieved anxiety and it helped your emotional state. I will never forget this course. And what happens when you promote masturbation, you know, well, it becomes an addiction and then you become addicted to porn and then you become a sex addict. And, you know, they were telling us that these things were very, very healthy for us to, to experiment and to practice. They were basically opening this door, this big demonic door to curiosity so we can experiment, you know, and fall into the safe sex, um, thing that is not even truth, you know, because there's no such thing as safe sex. There's only, you know, the only way you can protect yourself is, you know, when you're young is purity is chastity. And I remember when they spoke about abortion. So these are physicians that came into our school. We did not have, you know, the technology we have today. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have all these pro-life movements. Basically we had ignorance back then, you know, we had very little of truth. And, you know, they told us it's not a baby until it's five months because it's fully developed at a five month gestation. Um, it's basically considered a blob of cells before then. And they told us that abortion was a woman's right. It was her body and it was her choice. So if we, you know, we as the students, as the girls, if we ever had an unwanted pregnancy, that abortion was our option. It was a solution. And, you know, they said, you can always come to us. We will always back you guys up. We will always, you know, we won't tell your parents. If we need to call to confirm an appointment, we'll say it's Jill, your friend Mary or something. And then if we send you guys stuff in the mail, we'll never say it's us. I mean, so it made it seem like they were really there for us. Gosh. And I mean, what a, what a terror, like they, they definitely are trying to, I think, put it off like that they're your friend. Right, right. It's a place where you guys can come if you guys need free condoms, if you guys need this. We will always be there to support you, and it's completely confidential. It's like, you know, it does. It seems like they're giving you a right. They're giving you your privacy, you know, and it, it did. It seemed like they were, wow, they're, they're really doing something for the youth and for women. That's what I felt. That is know? nuts. Like, that's a terrible, that's a, that's a terrible definition of a friend is someone who's like, I'm going to lie for you. I'm going to hide all these things that are going on in your life from the people that created you and love you and live with you. Like, I'm like, that is a bad friend. Right. And I mean, I remember even after that course, I remember I started hearing like in, in the sixth grade and I started hearing in junior high, all these girls that were my friends that started to experiment, you know, and started having sex and lost her virginity. I mean, I, you know, I had girls in my class at the age of 12 and age of 13 and, I mean, you start hearing these rumors and I really do believe it had something to do with this course. So I believed everything that they told me at Planned Parenthood. And well, my parents were, uh, my mom especially was very involved in the new age era and my parents divorced. And I really believe it's because of that. We opened like big demonic doors in our home. We didn't have our Lord there. We didn't have Mary. And, you know, I met my first boyfriend when I was 19 years old and we were practicing safe sex. It did not work. It failed. I was pretty shocked because I thought I was learning, you know, I was practicing to be responsible. That's what they, they show you that, you know, you're responsible when you practice safe sex. And I felt like I failed. I was terrified. I mean, I had dreams. I had goals. I wanted to be somebody big in life. At, at this point, at 19 years old, I was pretty popular in school. Very, very vain, very material. I mean, I wanted to be successful. It was all about me. Everything was about me and my goals, my dreams, me, me, me. And when I, you know, saw that test that came out positive, it was terrifying. And I do believe that 
the root of all abortion? I believe it's fear. I mean, when it's an unwanted pregnancy, women don't know, oh my gosh, I don't know, you know, my parents are going to kick me out. Um, you know, my boyfriend left me or I don't have money. I don't have a job. You know, it's all fear. Everything's fear. And all these fears started to come into my heart, but it was more like fears that I wasn't going to accomplish what I wanted for myself. My life was over like pregnant. That's misery. That's a failure at 19 years old. Like I was just starting my life. And my boyfriend was so excited though, when I gave him the news and he said, you know, I want to be a father. I'm there. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. I'll take care of you. I will provide you're secure with me. And those encouraging words, oh my gosh, those fears went away. You know, they just, they soothed all those fears. Those fears were gone. And I really do believe it's the male figure when they, you know, they give the woman security, they give her hope and love and support. I really do feel that that could save so many babies. I've met so many women in this ministry, in this post-abortion healing ministry, um, that's, you know, that say, when my boyfriend found out that I was pregnant, he left, or even my own husband said that we mm. couldn't afford another child and he took me and I'm angry. And I believe that it's not only the women that are scared to be mothers, but I believe today it's men that are also scared to be fathers. And there's just a great lack of that responsibility from the man also, um, you know, to, to care for that life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now let me ask you this question. You had mentioned that like your parents had, although you were, you know, Catholic in identity, but not practicing, um, that your mom got into new age stuff, like, like, like a few things for those people who are like unsure what that means or what in particular were the, were, were the new age practices that your your mom got into that brought into the home. Could you just kind of like maybe give us a quick list of like what that was? Right. So we believe we, we did not believe in the resurrection of our Lord. We believed in reincarnation. So we, we believe that we kept coming back to basically, you know, to, to better your, I guess it's like to purify your life um, until you are a wise soul. So basically all the errors and mistakes that you made in your past life, you come back and you pay for it kind of like karma um, so we believe that we had to get to this level of a old wise soul. And it's funny because I would go to basically tarot card readers and they would read our, you know, the, our, our future, you know, with, with the, with the tarot cards, or they would read our palm or they would tell us our past lives. And I was told I was a, a queen. I was told I was a, a young Robin hood boy in France and I was in the war. And I mean, it was it's ridiculous. And we just uh, believed in good luck, crystals, my mom would put Shirley MacLaine videos for my sister and I when we were, we were probably like 10 years old and she'd put the, you know, the VHS cassettes and, and, you know, and pop it up on the television and we would meditate and we would line our chakras. So we would line the inner energy in us and we would basically imagine the serpent awakening inside of us. Um, you know, we would believe in that third eye. I mean, we were pretty much deep into this. Wow. We so wait, Shirley MacLaine, the actress. Yes, 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 yes. Super new age. I mean, we would follow all her videos. We'd go to her conventions. My mom would take us to these conventions where there were all these um, uh, stands, like little, little stands with all these witches around. So, I mean, we were pretty, pretty deep into this. Did that scare you? I, I don't think it scared me because I, my mom started when we were pretty young. So I was kind of, um, I kind of got used to it. And I thought it was normal. Um, and so I just thought it was truth and it wasn't, it was all a lie. And I really do believe it affected my family greatly. 
Um, it really tore my parents apart. Um, my mom wasn't the same person um, after going deep into this stuff. And, you know, my, some of my family, you know, my sister, she still believes in that, in some of this stuff. And it's, it's, it's really did, uh, it really did wound our family. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. So keep, keep going. So you've, you've told your boyfriend you're pregnant. He's actually responded with what I think most women would want the father of their baby to say. And then how do you respond? So that, you know, then I I said, you know, you know what? Yes, I have the courage to do this. I'm not alone. I could do this. And, you know, we went to go get our first ultrasound. We started to see formation. I saw like the the little head and the limbs (laughs) and I saw all the movements. So I started to feel so, you know, happy. And my boyfriend was excited. I didn't tell my father yet. I, my parents divorced and I stayed with my father and I just, you know, my, my, my belly started to grow and I started to feel really happy. But I had these four best friends. They were part of my clique back then. And they were anguished. They said, you know, you, you're a straight A student. You're doing so well in school. You have all these goals. Please, you know, you're making the worst mistake of your life. You know, you can't, you're not ready to be a mother. You know, we learn in school. It's not a baby yet. You're four months pregnant. You, ha- you have time before your five months. Please go get an abortion before your five months. We want the best for you. Now, I don't think my friends were bad people. I just think that we're just a group of ignorant girls. We didn't know truth and they really did want the best for me. And they really thought they were giving me the best um, advice. And I saw how, you know, how they were, they were terrified for me. And it did that those fears came back into my heart. So what I decided to do was go, you know, go get an abortion. And I said, you know, it's just easier to lie to my boyfriend. Um, you know, he's Hispanic and I just really thought Hispanic people didn't have abortions because my father has 14 brothers and sisters. My mom has 12. And I thought, you know, he's Mexican. He's not going to accept it. I'll just have, tell him I had a miscarriage and I'll lie. So I did go have an abortion. And it was scary because they don't tell, they don't give you instructions. They tell you to come on in. Um, and the thing that was very shocking, Leah, is that the waiting room was full of 13, 14, 15-year-old kids. And this is a Tuesday morning. You know, I'm thinking, wait, why aren't these kids in school? But in California, in the state of California, like many states in, in the United States, a 13-year-old um, child can have an abortion, you know, cut school. And she has the right to do that without her parents' consent. So I always tell people, can you imagine you drop your child off, your daughter off at junior high, 13 years old, and you're thinking the whole day she's in school, but what if she didn't survive that abortion? Because when you sign that consent form, you're basically signing, yes, I can die. You can die during this abortion and your family members cannot sue us. I mean, can you imagine how horrific that, that scene would be? And you as a parent, you don't have a right you can't sue anybody. You can't do anything, you know, and that's your child that lives under your roof, your rules, your child. And, you know, this, you know, it, you know, because of this, you cannot control that. And anyhow, I was, that's, you know, ins- that's, that, I mean, uh, Planned Parenthood is evil to the core, but it's just insane. Like the position it, it's, it's, it's incredibly smart what they've done to undermine life and destroy humanity of positioning themselves as the friend and the educator and the advocate. Right. That is what they have been pushing um, for so many decades. And, 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 and this, this has happened where girls have gotten themselves out of school for a medical appointment and have been able to, or they're dropped off at school and then they leave and they go to Planned Parenthood and they go for the abortion and they die 
and the, and this exact situation has happened and parents can't do anything. Exactly. Um, l- let, let alone the countless others who go to get the abortion and then suffer the effects afterwards and their parents are still clueless. And this is an organization that says, we'll take care of you and we're going to lie for you and we're going to cover everything up. Um, anyways. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you've got it, this is, I, I love what you're, I love what you're focusing in on here because this is something that, um, I have seen as well in my own life. I talk about as well is this, this COI, the circle of influence, our circle of influence that we allow into our life. And sometimes you might be in situations when you're younger, when you might not have a lot of control over that. Granted, I know that, but that circle of influence really does affect us. And it's obviously sometimes actual people and friends like your four girlfriends were, um, or, you know, these friends or the circle of influence can actually be organizations, uh, like Planned Parenthood and the voices that they, and what in the messages that they share with us. So, so let's go back. Sorry to interrupt. Let's go back to what you're talking no, about it's here. Okay. You've got these friends They're They're, they're sharing all their fears with you. And then where does that leave you? So that leads me inside of this abortion clinic. So this first abortion clinic was not Planned Parenthood, but it was a different, it was a different medical um, building basically. And you know, when you walk into an abortion clinic, I mean, it, there's a great deal of shame. I mean, there's so much shame, even though it's legal, even though people, you know, the doctors tell you um, it's, it's the best choice. When there's deep shame that just hovers over you and tear, something doesn't feel right, you know? And the doctor noticed I was terrified. I, I felt so shameful. And she said, do not worry. I've had one abortion myself and I've had, you know, I did two abortions on my daughter last year oh. and you know, we really trust in our doctors at the time I was working at a doctor's office. So I really respect doctors. Um, you know, they, I, I've always, I was always trained, you know, patient care, patients are important, honesty, compassion, you know, being friendly, da, da, da. And, you know, she's telling me, you know, to be, you know, this is the best choice. I've had an abortion. Don't worry. You know, my daughter had to, I performed those abortions on her and it did, it did. I did trust her and she did the ultrasound machine. Remember that she wouldn't let me look at the screen. I asked her, can I please look at the screen? She said, why? I said, because I'm four months pregnant. I just want to see if it's a baby. And she said, of course not. I'm looking at a blob of cells behind here. There's nothing here. You know, and I really confided in her. And I went through the abortion five minutes. I blocked myself. I didn't move. I kind of laid stiff because it is scary. You don't, you don't know what's going on really. They don't really tell you. So the only post-care instructions I got from this abortion clinic was you're going to have cramping, some bleeding, but tomorrow you can continue your work. You can just, tomorrow's, you know, just any ordinary day. They never talk to you about post-abortion syndrome. I mean, what you were talking about, the effects that these girls live. I mean, these girls that, you know, have suicidal thoughts and tendencies after an abortion or depression or, you know, and how do you help a 13 year old girl after that? You don't, and you basically don't tell somebody you just had an abortion. So you don't seek help when you're feeling like, you know, you're feeling depressed, anxiety. And I started to feel these things after this abortion, but I never connected it to the abortion. Um, I didn't know. I mean, I, I think we still don't know what post-abortion syndrome is. You know, I mean, we hear, we know abortion is bad, but we really don't talk about the effects the mental, emotional, and even the physical damage that a woman suffers after. But after this abortion, I started to feel really depressed and empty. Something was missing, you know, overwhelming anxiety, nightmares, lied to my boyfriend. I didn't tell him the truth. I told him I had a loss. 
but he started to feel very depressed and he would tell me, you know, I'm having nightmares. I dream of a little girl that she, you know, she calls me daddy, daddy. I don't know what's wrong with me. And I didn't know what's wrong with me either. And we were just two, you know, balls of messes. I mean, I just thought maybe because my family was kind of messed up from this, you know, separation and new age and all this stuff. I kind of said, okay, you know, maybe I'm depressed because my family's not very united anymore, but no, it was the abortion and it was really bad. So we continue to practice safe sex. This time, you know, this abortion clinic said, all right, well, the condom failed. So here's some birth control pills. I was taking it every day at the same time. Now, at this point, I'm in the university and I'm a straight A student. I'm not stupid. I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty smart, but it failed again. And I was like, wait, what's going on? Like, I'm practicing what they're showing me, you know, at, in the clinic and, and school. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Why did this fail a second time? And I didn't want to tell anybody because I felt really like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm stupid. What, you know, why is this failing? And what happens is the reason they gave out all these free condoms and free birth control pill is because it's all a trap. Like I, like I had mentioned, they give out the cheapest condoms. They give out, you know, the lowest concentration of birth control you know, pills so it can fail. But, you know, even birth control is not the answer because it is proven, you know, that birth control is, it's an abortifacient. So you can actually even have an abortion taking birth control pills. Right. Um, it's, 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 I mean, it does not prevent an unwanted pregnancy. And this time, I mean, I was clearly pregnant again. And I thought, you know, this is, I, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to tell anybody. It's too shameful. I felt that. I felt how shameful it was. I'm not going to tell my boyfriend, I don't want to be pregnant. I'm going to go have an abortion at Planned Parenthood. I can't go to, back to the same clinic. They're going to think I'm stupid. and I didn't learn my lesson. So I'm going to go to Planned Parenthood. I won't tell anybody. This time it's going to be easier. Um, I'll get it over with five minutes. It's not a big deal. So I went to Planned Parenthood and I blocked myself again, you know, and the doctor was just applauding me. She's saying, you are amazing. You're one of the very, very, very few patients that haven't, you know, started to cry. You're not kicking. They basically, you know, told me I was the best patient during an abortion. And I remember they gave me a big bag of condoms, birth control, all free, free, free. And I just thought they were great. And um, they didn't say anything about post-abortion syndrome or the effects I would have mentally, emotionally. And then, you know, I had pain. I had physical damage too. And I was just miserable after the second one. I mean, I would, I would get traumatized when I see, you know, children in public, when I hear kids cry. Um, I had nightmares all the time of babies crying, um, really bad at eating disorders. Um, my self-esteem was trashed. I mean, I would look in the mirror and be just completely disgusted with myself. I see myself very distorted. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't want to live anymore. Um, things were going really bad with my boyfriend. He was suffering even greater depression. I mean, he didn't know that he had two abortions, but he was feeling the effects. And mm. I've had... Leah, so many men come up to me after my talks and say, now it makes sense, Patricia. It clicks. You know, I took my girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend to have an abortion. And now I know why I was so depressed and I started to drink or I started to do drugs. Or now I know why, you know, when I even, anybody even mentions my ex, I get traumatized or, I mean, it makes sense to men when I start saying these things in a conference, it clicks, you know? And then it happened again, Leah. It happened a third time. A third time. A third time. We were practicing safe sex. This, this was know, the same I, guy, right? The guy that you've been dating this same, whole time. Yes. So it was like a year and a half span that I had three pre unwanted pregnancies. And I was furious. I'm like, what's going on? Like, I know I'm, I, I'm doing everything right. Why is this not 
working. And I, this time I told him the truth because I didn't want to go by myself. I didn't want to feel that because you feel guilty. I didn't want to feel that guilt. I wanted him to have some of that burden. And when I told him I was pregnant, um, I, I was basically very cold about it because my heart after each abortion was pretty much numb and cold. I mean, I really believe that a woman's heart dies after an abortion and it just gets even numb number after multiple. And I told him, you know what? I'm pregnant and I'm going to go have an abortion. Mm. And when he, when he told me, but wait, I don't want to have an abortion. I don't want to, I want to be he a father. He said that? Yes. I don't want to have an abortion. I want to be a father. I was so angry because I felt that he was taking my rights away. He was taking something that was mine. It was not his. And I yelled at him. I said, it's my right. Who are you to take my right away? It's my body. You don't have control over my body. And I don't care what you think. You, you have no rights. You have no say. So I'm going to go get an abortion. If you want to come, great. If you don't, I don't care. And I did take his right away, Leah. I took his right to be a father. It, you know, he did have a right, you know, but unfortunately today the law says that the man doesn't have a voice. It doesn't, he doesn't have, if he wants to be a father, there's no right. And I've met many men crying, telling me I've stood in front of the abortion clinic, Patricia. I tried to save the life of my baby and I couldn't, I couldn't, I've had, I was basically, I was, you know, I was thrown out by security. The, the cops called and I don't, I didn't have to say, I couldn't do anything. I felt so impotent. I couldn't. And I see the frustration in many men's or women that just don't tell their boyfriends, you know, or, you know, they find out afterwards and, you know, he's like, what about me? Well, you know, I, I wanted to be a father. I, I would have taken care of you. And, you know, I, I really, I know we have all this like radical feminist movement, you know, my body, my choice. I really wish we had this men radical movement that said, you know, my, what about my fatherhood or, you know, what about men? We forget about them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that from, from everything that I have read and know, um, inside, inside Lux University, we have this amazing course by Dr. Carrie Gress called the anti-Mary and it's a spirit of the anti-Mary. So she actually goes through these different phases or waves of feminism and this initial first wave, this radical feminist, they, this, this boardroom of women would they they even chanted in a kind of satanic uh, ritual style almost um, that one of the ways that they would take down the patriarchy patriarchy is is through abortion that 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 we would kill our children so men would have no more voice and they we, we would take wow. everything from them and so I think absolutely from what 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 you're saying for me that I just go back to like what I was what, what I just learned in the in this course from Dr. Carrie Gress um, it's amazing I mean that's absolutely true and we've we've created a war we don't even want in some name of I don't know freedom or equality not that there couldn't have been more equal ways to go about life uh, for women. I'm not disagreeing that there, there's room for improvement, but to the extreme of killing our own children and, and then the men and the fathers who can do nothing to protect their own. Right. Um, I mean, I've even seen, I've even heard, you know, 
parents that say, you know, we were going to support our daughter. We, we told her, you know, we will support you. We want our grandchild. And, you know, one day the daughter decided to cut school and go have an abortion. And I've seen parents grieve over the loss of their grandchild um, or grandparents grieve over the loss of that aborted grandchild because they didn't have control to even save their own grandchildren. And, mm. you know, it's, it's just the laws are very, very twisted in, in, in a demonic way, you know, and Anyhow, so, I mean, you guys can imagine after the third abortion, I was pretty much suicidal. I was pretty much didn't want to live. I mean, after this third abortion, but like, but right before, like, so obviously you had the abortion, you had the third abortion, your boyfriend at this point, I mean, did, I mean, did he go, Oh yeah, did he go with the, did he go with you? Was he like, like what happened with that? Was he, I mean, obviously I would imagine there was a quite the disagreement. Oh yeah. So he, he, he went, uh, but he didn't want to be there. I mean, he tried to be supportive, but he wasn't like, he, he's like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. This isn't right. You know, but I think he was scared that we were just both very miserable. I think at the time. And I think he was scared I would leave him. Um, you know, he had very low self-esteem as well. And I mean, he, he, he was there holding my hand, but I could tell he was very, he was much in pain. And I remember feeling his hand squeeze my hand so tight when he heard that vacuum machine, um, I could tell he was very scared. And when I opened my eyes to look at his reaction, I remember seeing his lip jumping, like nervous, scared, you know, and his eyes, when I looked into his eyes, full of tears. And those were the longest five minutes of my life because I felt his tears, his tears were just bathing my face. And I felt guilty. I thought, wait a minute, why, why is he emotional? How come he could shed a tear? And my heart is so numb. I can't, I, I don't feel anything anymore. I don't even feel bad. Like I feel guilty a little bit, but I don't feel hurt. I don't feel pain. Um, and you try to justify it because you're like, wait, what, what, why should I cry if this is the best choice for me? And this is legal. And this is what the doctors say. It's, you know, it's good for me. Um, it's just very, I don't know. It's your emotions are mixed because I am pretty sure this happens to a lot of women that have abortions. They know there's something wrong deep down, but the doctors say it's okay. And you just justify, okay, this is good. This is legal. This is not, you know, I, this is good for me right now. I can't be pregnant. And they, it's these mixed emotions when you're having an abortion. And so after that, obviously I, I, I couldn't stand even looking at him. I think that was part of the post-abortion syndrome. I would have nausea. I would want to vomit when I would see him. And I believe, you know, that many couples don't survive after an abortion um, because of the symptoms. I mean, if you don't heal that, you, you just won't last. Right. And that's exactly what happened with us. And I decided to move away. I needed, like, I couldn't even look at him. I, I felt so much shame. And I even felt like my friends and people that would see me on the street, like, like they knew I had three abortions, even though I didn't tell anybody. I felt like people knew. Um, and I just, you know, I just wanted to move away where some, nobody knew me. So I moved to Sacramento, California. And at the time, obviously, you know, I was living on my own, needed a job. And like I had mentioned, I worked as a receptionist at a medical office. So I was looking for a receptionist job, but I did notice that in the newspaper, uh, Planned Parenthood, they were looking for a back office nurse and, you know, they really needed somebody that spoke Spanish urgently. It was like an urgent, you know, it's an urgent so I called them and I said, look, I don't, I'm not a nurse, but I speak fluent Spanish. So maybe I can help you guys translate or file charts, whatever. They, you know, they set me up for an appointment and um, basically, you know, they asked me if I was uh, against abortion. I said, no, you know, I believe it's a woman's right, a choice. And I told them that I had had three and they were so excited. They said, wow, that's going to really help us, you know, motivate all the girls here to come to their abortion appointments. 90% of the girls here in California 
they're Hispanic, they don't speak any English. And that was very shocking to me because I just thought that Hispanic people had big families and they were very, you know, family oriented and that they would never have abortions, but right. this was not the case. I guess it's not the case um, in the U.S. So it was very shocking. And they actually hired me as a back office nurse. They said, you know, we know you never went to nursing school. You don't have any nursing credentials, but we'll just train you here on the spot. Um, train you on the spot yeah. as a nurse? Yes. And you know uh. who was training me were 18-year-old, um, 18-year-old young girls that were also kind of like fake nurses. They were the ones that were, you know, training me when I was hired. But I wasn't really trained, Leah. I was basically just thrown in. You know, the first day I started, it was a consultation day. So my job was to prepare all these, I always say this, women, but it's not women. Um, most of the patients that have abortions are, are teens. I mean, they're young, very young girls. I mean, they're not even in high school yet. Um, so they're very, very young girls. And I really thought, okay, wait, these girls are pregnant. Like they're, they're, they're going to mess up their lives. They're going to bring, you know, a child into this world. And a 13 year old can't really be a mom to a child. And so I would really, you know, encourage them, you know, abortion, this is the best solution. I've had three and I would actually prepare them. They, I was told by my manager that if they didn't show up to their appointments that I could lose my job and I was getting paid top salary. I mean, I was even shocked at the amount of money that they were paying me hourly. Um, it was double the amount of money I was getting at my old job. And I really do believe they do this um, so that the young people that work in Planned Parenthood, that they'd stay. Um, because it's very traumatizing to work there. And I think, you know, a lot of kids are motivated by money. So they have to pay them top dollar in order for them to stay or some of them to stay. And so, you know, I'm counseling these girls. I was told to never, ever use the word baby, mom, he, she, um, father, fetus. I can't use the word fetus because it gives human dignity. So I was told to only, she goes, I don't care what you name it. You know, it has to, it's an it. I don't care what you use, you know, blob of cells, tissue, but it, it's an it. That's what it is. And I was told to never let them look at the ultrasound um, screen machine screen. Um, that was very, very, very important. Even if the girl was crying, if she begged, she, she could never look at that screen. It was very confusing to me when they were training me to change my uh, language, you know, uh, terminology. I was very confused. I didn't understand why. Um, but I, you know, I did what I was told. But it was a day that, uh, uh, that I, you know, the day I walked into to Planned Parenthood, it was Wednesday. It was my third day at, at the job. And it was a day we you know, they performed abortions. Now, back then, this was the year 2000. So they were performing 50 abortions per week. So it was 25 on Wednesdays and 25 Friday. So they had to get patients in and out as fast as they could. And that morning, basically, they said, you will be assisting the abortionist. Um, you don't know who he is. He's not from this clinic. He basically jumps from all these, you know, state to state abortion clinics all over the place. He kind of moves all over the place because if a girl dies after an abortion, or has a complication. Well, you know, it makes things easier for us. She, you know, her family tries to sue us. Well, you know, the doctor's not really from our clinic. So we don't, you know, we don't have much of an issue. Um, you know, Patricia, wow. yeah, you never will tell a soul what you see behind these doors. And you will never tell the mothers after their abortion, the mothers. And when she said mothers, it was kind of, what? You know, weird. And she said, after their abortions, we throw their babies away in the garbage. And you will never tell the fathers in the lobby that after their abortions, we throw their baby away in the garbage. And they, she, they even acknowledged the fathers, you know? And it was 
I mean, those words were something pierced my heart, you know, and I was scared. And I thought, wait, what? And I just, just, so, just the language. I mean, the language that they use and refuse to use and refuse to acknowledge, like, I know we're going to beat a dead horse, but it's worth doing. I mean, like, it is just the lies that go on, the posing that goes on is insane. I mean, not to say he or she, mother or father, it's it or they or whatever. I mean, it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not going to go far on this tangent at all, but even with what we're dealing with today in, in gender identity issues and concerns, the language of basically taking the, the personhood out of what you would call someone is really, really scary when we do that. Hey, this message is for my ladies. Ladies, listen, if you are looking for some accountability in your prayer life, if you feel or you might be alone, uh, you feel like you're alone in your faith life, maybe there's not a lot of people who support you or are around you, um, or you're just not connected to them, or <laughs> sometimes it's just struggling uh, to reach out, um, or, 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 or maybe it's just the fact that you want to know your faith better. You really want to go deeper, but you feel overwhelmed with all the amount of uh, possibilities and ways to do that. Or you want to go to grad school, but you also really don't want the price tag that's associated with that or the homework um, or the intensity maybe. And you're looking for practical and pastoral theology. I have an answer for you. We just created the very first Catholic app for Catholic women. Super excited about this. This is the Lux app, L-U-X. Lux is Latin for light, and we truly believe that we are called to be lights and called to be leaders um, for ourselves, for our families, for our church, and for the world. So I want to invite you to join this amazing network of women. It is so much more than an app. I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of all of the work that we have done to create this app, but and it's mobile friendly, it's also desktop friendly, but it's really truly about a network. There are three main components. Really quickly, I just wanted to share with you so that you know about it and you can share it with others. We have the prayer department, and in prayer, we offer live weekly prayer, Rosary, Divine Mercy Chaplet. We also offer live Sunday Gospel Reflections by Father Michael O'Loughlin, who is our Lux chaplain, and he often, very often, goes in and even offers live evening prayer. So you you always get a notification on your phone whenever he goes live if you want to pray with him, but it's really beautiful about what he does. Um, he's there for us every single week, guiding us through the gospel and giving us a challenge to take with us throughout the week. I love the prayer department inside the app. It is absolutely my favorite piece, I think. Um, and then we have the community piece. And a lot of people kind of like gloss over or when they offer something, they always say community, but they really don't mean it. We mean it. We, we sincerely mean it. This is one, this is the best 
tech tool I have ever used to really connect me with other Catholic women um, in a way that you're off social media, so you don't have to worry about all of that. There's no trolls. And you really are in this intimate place with other Catholic women. And you can actually find out and see where they are around you and near you, like in your city, or even when you travel, you'll be able to find out where the other Lux ladies are. And if you wanted to, you could reach out and say hello. You could connect. You could maybe arrange a time to like go grab coffee, whatever you want. Or maybe you just want to stay back and just, you know, chat in the chat boxes from afar. Either way, you will definitely know that you're not alone anymore in your faith. And then the third main compartment or main department that we offer inside the Lux Network is formation and that is Lux University where we offer practical and pastoral uh, theology courses for you to know your faith better. Uh, it's amazing. It is ever evolving. We are constantly adding new courses to the LuxU platform. So you're never going to get in there and then like that's all we're ever going to have. We film new courses about once a month. So we are churning out new stuff constantly and we're always asking you about what you want. Like what's a co- what's what topic do you want covered? And so it's community sourced uh, content that we're putting out. It's really beautiful. We're faithful to the church teachings. We are just courageously Catholic in our faith and, and in our movement towards being leaders and lights in the world. And we want you to join us. So make sure you go to theluxuniversity.com, get the information, choose your plan and download the app there. Quick note, quick note for all of my Apple iPhone users, you want to make sure you go to theluxuniversity.com to choose your plan and get the app. Don't go to the app store because Apple charges 30% more and we have no say so in that. They do that. Um, We cannot issue cancellations or refunds or anything because that's all on Apple. So we have warnings everywhere. This is your warning. If you want to be a part of the Lux Network, go ahead and go to theluxuniversity.com. It's available for anyone, international, Android, Apple, you name it. You are welcome here. I cannot wait to see you inside the Lux app. And it's, you know, I always say this because we, we do see, you know, as as the workers as evil, you know, what, yes, what goes on in parenting is very evil, but not only are the women that are having abortions lied and deceived, but they also do this to the, I felt like manipulated as a worker too. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't start working for Planned Parenthood knowing exactly what they were doing. Um, And I was basically manipulated as I was, as the days were rolling. Um, I was lied to too, as a worker. So, you know, they threw me on the spot on the first abortion. I had to assist the abortionist. I was never trained yet. So I never really had my training. I was thrown into this abortion. I didn't know what the tools were. I've never even held up a needle to inject. I didn't, I was not a nurse. So my job was to stand behind the doctor, the abortionist. And I remember them telling me, time is money, five minutes. If you, if we take more than five minutes on a patient, we're losing money. And it was just so blunt the way she was, um, you know, saying all these things, you know, and it was kind of, it's kind of weird, but anyhow, so I stood behind the abortionist and I remember him taking all these tools out and, you know, it didn't look good. I mean, during my abortions, I didn't see anything. I blocked myself, closed my eyes, but I'm starting to see sharp objects, scissors, you know, clamps and, and curettes and all these things. I don't know what they were at the time. 
So um, he turns on the machine, takes out the tip of the, of the vacuum, which is a long metal kind of like tube. It's called a cannula. And I remember looking at the tip of the tip. It was a blade. And when he goes into this 15-year-old's womb, you know, this young girl's scared. She's a teen. I mean, she's not like, she's not mature yet. She's starting to kick and scream and he can't stop the procedure. I mean, once he's in there, he's got to get everything out. He's got five minutes. And I remember him dodging her legs and it looked so violent. It looked kind of like rape. I mean, it looked very, very violent. And that's why I always tell people, you know, you can't justify abortion with rape. I mean, you, this, you know, women are not going to heal with another violent act on top of that rape. It is not, it, it's just going to, the woman's going to come out worse. Amen. And, I'm, and I'm looking at this scenario and I'm like, this doesn't look good. And then I realized right then and there, oh my goodness, he can't see inside of the womb. How does he know he has everything? How does he know the sack of tissue is like all inside of the vacuum machine? He's got this blade in there and she's kicking. How does he know he's not damaging her or you know, perforating her womb? And you know, there is a statistic that's like, I think it's about 15,000 women do come out dam physically damaged from, from an abortion. And he looks at his watch and he says, okay, I'm gonna guess I'm done. I'm gonna guess I'm done. I mean, this is a surgery. When do you see a surgeon in the middle of surgery tell everybody, his staff, I guess I'm done, everybody, and I'm not sure. Let, let's just close up the incision. I mean, that, that's not, <laughs> no, you know, you just, it's, this yeah. is what abortion is, you know? And he says, I think I'm done. And he turns the machine off. And basically all the contents um, that came out of her womb into the, you know, falls into this bag, this biohazard bag. And I was basically led into this small room um, you know, by the person that was training me, quote, quote, training me. And she's 18 years old, fake nurse also. And we go into this little back room and there's like this big glass dish in front of me. And I'm thinking, okay, so we're going to dump everything out in this bag and we're going to look for the sack of tissue. That's what I told this girl during her consultation. So, you know, like I, I tell people, I, I, I forgot about God, but I really do believe he, like for my sake, he stopped time. He really got really, I mean, I believe he was there. He's always there, but I believe that he stopped time because I started to contemplate details and we had five minutes, like everything was fast, but it seemed as if time stopped. And when she, this, you know, I dumped this, this bag or the contents of the bag into this dish, she takes out these little tweezers, which are called forceps. She starts to dig. And then to my shocking surprise, she holds up to the light an arm with a little hand. And she said, this is part number one. We need five parts of the baby so the patient can go home and we can tell the abortionist everything was successful. The first thing I noticed on the fingertips were the fingerprints, you know? And that's when I thought to myself, wait a minute, fingerprints make us authentic, irrepeatable. There's nobody in the world that has your fingerprint because you're special, because you're different, because you're authentic. That makes you human. And, you know, she puts it, this little arm on the counter and she looks for the next arm, the leg. But when she held the fifth piece up, Leah was the you know, the head. And, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, they can't feel anything and they try to justify that, you know, certain amount of weeks, you know, it's not a baby because they can't feel anything. Well, no, I saw the expression on the baby's face. This baby was in anguish and the mouth was open as if this baby was really trying to live. This baby was screaming for its life. You could tell, you could see it. He was fighting, but there was nobody there that can hear him or defend that baby. And, you know, this fake nurse puzzled, puzzles this baby body back together. And I was so terrified. I thought to myself, oh my God, this is not a sack of tissue. This is a baby. This is a human being. You know, I had my abortion at four months. 
when you look at the growth of a baby in the womb, it's, I mean, it's pretty significant monthly. And, you know, this baby was, it was a baby. It was, you know, and it's a baby at every stage, but it was very clear to me at the time. And it was horrific. And I stayed quiet. And I just basically dragged myself through the day. I mean, suffering inside, going nuts and just kind of doing what I was supposed to do. But it was horrifying to me. And what I did notice, you know, I would look around at my coworkers and I'm like, is anybody seeing this? Is anybody seeing this truth? Why is it, why is everybody normal? Why, why is the abortionist singing, you know, during when we're looking for the parts? Why is he asking me what I'm going to have for lunch later? And I would look at my coworkers. They had no expression on their face. They were pretty much robotic. I mean, these workers are very traumatized people. They have to numb themselves. They have to, they have to work in a state of robotic mode basically to even survive that place. I mean, I, I didn't last very long, Leah. I lasted probably less than a month. And it was because, um, you know, the last day at my job at Planned Parenthood, this six month, uh, you know, pregnant girl comes in with twins and I just could not, I couldn't see those two babies, those two siblings in a trash can anymore. Um, and it basically is a nightmare, you know, working in this place when you see women, this is how they treat women. You see them faint. You see them being dragged down the hallways. You see women bleeding to death and they will not call an ambulance. That's the worst thing that they could do because if an ambulance comes to an abortion clinic, it's on the news. They let them bleed to death in the recovery room and just send them home with a bunch of gauze. I mean, women are crying. They tell them to shut up. They're, you know, they're screaming. They don't give them another option. I mean, they see how terrified they are and they don't say, hey, you know what? You don't have to do this. There's other options. Let's give you other options. It's no, it's abortion. It's very, it's, 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 it's an, it's, it's very hell, hellish working in this place. And I was very traumatized after, I mean, I had my post-abortion syndrome thing going on and then to see the truth and to see what I did that I aborted three children of mine. I felt, this is where I felt like a murderer. I felt like an assassin. I felt like I was lied to manipulated as a worker as well. And I basically started to do heavy drugs. I mean, I started off with cocaine then I went off to methamphetamine and I was lost. Is this, no, is this, oh gosh, there's this, this is just, um, I mean, this is really hard to hear. Um, yes. And it's what we have to hear. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm over here in tears, but, and I'm right now, I'm, um, I'm 33 weeks pregnant right now. Yeah. And to hard. hear, to hear it is, is, um, it's hard at any stage. And, and any human who's not numbed their conscience would be probably somewhat emotional at this point listening to this. Um, you know, and it's emotional and it's hard to hear because it happens to many women. I mean, yeah. I've been in this mystery. There's not many women that will go public with their stories, especially in Latin America. I think I'm probably the only person in Latin America, and we're talking about over, you know, 10 15 countries. Um, they don't have the courage because it's very shameful. Um, but when I hear their stories, their stories are just like mine, you know, they're just like mine and they're multiple abortions and very, very common to have multiple abortions. And this happens to many women. You know, there's many women walking out there that are dead inside and they're silent and there's men that are dead inside and they're silent. Um, but this is, and that's their stories. That, yeah. These are the, that's also what the abortion mentality wants. It wants to suck you into this 
um, because it, it true. I mean, the abortion, I mean, abortion itself, Planned Parenthood is one of the tools that it uses, but abortion itself, it is a absolute tool of, of complete evil. Um, I mean, Satan himself, he is called in scripture. He's called the liar, the thief and the destroyer. That's exactly what abortion is. And people who get involved in this industry, either as workers or those who succumb to the lies that abortion gives to the world and gives to women, that it's going to eliminate your problem. Um, it just, all that does is takes the shame of an act that you regret, I would assume, because that's why you would not want the not want the baby to some degree at least um but it just doubles that shame even more and so the silence of these stories and the fact that like what you're doing is so important because it removes the veil it removes the curtain and it shows it for what it is so that we don't we don't just turn a blind eye to this topic that we are affected. And if you are shedding a tear right now, like that's just like, that's the appropriate response. It definitely is one of the appropriate responses to a story like this, because like you said, Patricia, this happens so often to so many women and they're not speaking up because of the shame involved. And so, I mean, as you, as you left Planned Parenthood and you're going down this path now, even further, further into vice i mean what did that what what did that shame do to you oh my gosh and you know and i really could relate to your story because shame still comes around right now and shame still taps on the back going hey remember this hey this is what you did this is who you are and it's like i have to constantly that shame still comes around to tempt me and but at this point when i'm on drugs you know what I once wanted for my life, um, you know, goals and dreams and, you know, be somebody big. I mean, I was a complete opposite at this point. I was the biggest failure drug addict. I knew my family was, you know, you know, there's gossiping was happening during, you know, with my family. I never had the courage to look for my father. I thought he was going to be ashamed of me as well. And very disappointed. Um, I felt like a murder and assassin. I felt so hopeless for myself. And, you know, I was so, you know, drugs did numb up the pain temporarily, but you have to constantly do it. So that numbness just stays. And I was so spun off drugs. You know, I, I had pulled all my hair out. I, I was literally bald. I had no hair. And I was so thin because I never ate. Um, and I, I, I was just bones. And I remember looking at myself one day thinking to myself, you know, what happened to you? You know, who are you? I don't know who you are. And I remember looking at my eyes and I just, I could just see death. I was just this dead person roaming the world. And, you know, I always, I always say this, women have abortions because they want to accomplish a goal. They want to accomplish their dream or they want to keep, you know, their success thing going. And it does, it, what happens is after the abortion, they die. It all falls apart. They actually never get to, never get to, um, you know, to finish those goals or dreams because of the abortion. And I've met many women who've decided to have life and they continue to go to school and they've actually, you know, they were capable of, 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 you know, meeting those goals and, and being successful with their baby, you know, with people supporting them. And it's a lie, you know, when women have those abortions because they think that, you know what, I'm going to go after this dream. Most of the times they fall apart and that's yeah. what happens. And, 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 and even if they accomplish like those said dreams, they're not the same woman anymore. Exactly. 
Right. So they're not, they're not, they're not achieving those goals the way that they would really want them to like, like right. they're not, they're not the same woman. Like you're, you're, you're not whole, like there, there, there's, there is that breaking in your heart and there's those, those issues that you're trying to deny and it's going to come back at you. So yeah, you might get the job or do that career, but at what cost? Right. No, I, I, I know of a testimony that this woman did that. She had three abortions um, because she wanted to keep studying. Okay, now I'm, I need to get married. And anyhow, she accomplished all her dreams and goals and was married, had the house, but then now she couldn't get pregnant. She was sterile. So, I mean, that's, you know, I hear these stories all the time. And, you know, I, I just felt like trash. And it was one day, three years, nearly three years on the street, just lost. And one day I sat on a sidewalk curb and I started to weep. Because I thought to myself, am I even going to live anymore? I mean, am I going to survive the streets? You know, what's become of my life? What's going to happen to me? And, and I started at this to point, and, and, and at this point, Patricia, you are on drugs and you're homeless, correct? Homeless, hit rock bottom. I mean, I'm, at this point, I'm so thirsty. There's nowhere I can get water. I mean, I didn't have anything. I didn't have anybody around me, no friends, no nothing. And I started to weep because I thought, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? I don't have anything. I hit rock bottom and I was weeping like a child. I was basically wailing. And all of a sudden during that wailing, this thought came to me and I started to remember my CCD classes. And I started to remember that, wow, I knew who God was. I did love him. You know, when I was preparing for my first communion, I started to remember God. And I, and I thought, wait a minute, he's, he exists. And I, and I, started to feel his presence looking down upon me from the clouds. I felt that. And I looked up at the sky and I said, you know, I don't know who you are, but you're the only thing I have right now. I don't have anything. I know you exist. And I started to repent. I started to say, you know what? Forgive me for what I've done. I know I ruined my life, but I know that my blessings and my childhood and my happiness, I know that that came from you. And I just want to thank you for what you did give me but I want to ask for forgiveness because I ruined it all. And I continued to weep, but this time there was peace in my heart. Like something told me it's going to be okay. And literally one minute after that prayer, this young girl runs out of a restaurant on the corner of the street and she comes and she gives me the biggest hug. And when she looks into my eyes, I mean, her eyes were full of mercy. Her smile was full of love. And I remember looking at her name tag and her name is Bonnie. And she said, Jesus loves you. He really loves you. I'm a waitress at the corner over there at that restaurant. And I was taking an order and I saw you weeping on the street. And I started to pray for you. And God told me to tell you that he loves you, that he will never abandon or forsake you, that he will always be with you. And everything that you've done in your life, he forgives you. And when she held, she held me. It's not like she just gave me a little pat on the back. She held me with so much strength and lifted me off the street with so much dignity. I had not felt that dignity in years. And that moment, I didn't feel it was her anymore. I knew it was Jesus himself that was using her arms to hold me, that used her legs to come out and run, and that literally went inside of her heart to give her that courage, you know, to be obedient. And I knew it was him through her mouth and through her words that was telling me that he forgave me. And, you know, I'm really surprised by this young girl. She said, I don't care where you live. Um, you're going to go home today. If I have to drive 12 hours, 10 hours, you are going home. 
And, you know, how many of us do that? I mean, how many of us even go up to a homeless person, you know, and says, hey, I'm going to pray for you, or we just, we don't, you know, we just kind of turn the other way or walk by or, or even say a little prayer for that person. But this girl had the courage to hold me and to put me inside of her car and to take me home. And she took me to my father's house and the shame was overwhelming, Leah. Um, you know, my dad, you know, my dad is a person that has high expectations um, and he gets disappointed when we fail. He, he is that type of person. And I just thought he was going to reject me. But when my father opens that door and I throw myself, I literally held his feet. I held his legs. And I asked, you know, for his forgiveness. Cause I know, you know, young people, we forget that we make our parents suffer. You know, we forget what we put our parents through. And I felt so bad that I, you know, I asked for him to forgive me and his words were so healing. He said, it's okay. You're home. It's okay. It's going to be okay. I love you and you're home. And oh my gosh, just my father's, you know, hug and his welcoming was just like the prodigal son. And, you know, thank God it was my mom. It was my mom that really called me and said, Hey, I moved back to the States. I know I haven't talked to you for years, but you're going to come and heal at my house. And my mom kind of knew about my situation and she knew that I was back home. So she picks me up. Um, and the first thing my mom said was praise God. And she said, you know, I, I came back home to the Catholic church. I don't believe in the new age. And I've been praying for you for three years on my knees every day in front of the blessed sacrament, offering every rosary, every mass, every Eucharist. I've been fasting for you. And I know, I knew that God was going to be faithful and your home. And that's when my mother, you know, she held up the Bible and she said, you know, the devil, he dragged you through the world. He took you away because you don't know who you are today. As a mother, I'm going to tell you who you are, what your identity is. You know, a lot of young kids are lost. She said, because they don't have an identity or they, they have an identity, but they don't know it. But today I'm going to tell you who you are. And that's when she told me, you know, you're not the drug addict. You're not the failure. You're not what everybody says you are. You are a princess, you know, and I didn't feel like a princess. I felt like a failure. I had no hair. I felt like trash. I felt horrible. And when she told me I was a princess of the King of Kings, oh my God, I, I want to cry because you have no idea how much I just didn't, how much, how healing that was to me to know who I finally was. And she says, you are the daughter of the most high. You are worthy. And I'm going to read these scriptures, these love letters from heaven that your father wrote to you about who you are and who you are and whose you are. And it was my mom just really took, you know, she, it, she really dedicated a year and a half. She quit her job for my healing and thank God for my mom's prayers. Um, I know it was my mom's prayers that really saved my life. So, you know, there was just one thing Lee, I couldn't forget, forgive. I, I kept going to confession. It was my, it was my abortions. I worked yeah. in the industry. I saw where the babies end up. They end up in a trash can. And it's really sad because I say this in all my conferences. Why are all these aborted babies in a trash can? Why? Because they pray the price of sexual disorder. It's because we don't know what chastity purity is. It's because even adults don't know what it is. You know, I have all these people writing to me saying, I cheated on my husband. I had to go get an abortion. You know, even adults don't know how to be chaste. And these babies pay the price for our disorder. And, you know, it's not fair. <laughs> and I just couldn't forgive myself. I went to a Rachel Vineyard retreat feeling shame like a murder. I killed my children. They ended up in a trash can. They no longer exist. Just like the, the scripture says, right. you know, Rachel cried because her children were no longer. And that's what I felt. But it was Saturday during a prayer where I closed my eyes and I had the grace to see my three children. And when I saw them, it was a girl, a boy, and a girl. They were jumping of joy. 
And they shouted out to me a word that I never thought that I would hear. And it was mother. That was the first word they shouted out, mother. Mother, we love you so much. We're praying for you in heaven. To see their joy, but I think it was to see their mercy. To see that they forgave me. I knew God forgave me. But I think it was knowing that they forgave me was that one thing I needed to forgive myself. And, you know, I saw their dresses, my daughters and their bows. And our Lord told me in my heart, our lady brushed their hair. She put those bows in their hair. Our lady dressed her children, you know, and our Lord assured me that all the unborn baby were under the care of our lady in heaven. And the day that I, you know, the day that I get to heaven, that they will receive me. And it was because of this grace and this mercy and this forgiveness that I decided to repair and to reparation for what I've done to repair the damage. And I made a vow that day to my children, to God, to our lady, that even though I would be criticized, persecuted, lose family members, it didn't matter what would happen to me that I was going to defend life. It didn't matter. And you know, I, I, I was after, I mean, that's when the roller coaster rights started happening, right when I started to go public, because in Latin America to go public on abortion, no one had, has ever heard of that, you know, when I started back in 2007. I mean, I was bombarded with people calling me murder in the Catholic Church. You murder, okay, one abortion, fine, but three, there's no mercy for you. It was so shocking to the Latin um, Hispanic community, uh, my story. I mean, I was persecuted greatly. I was persecuted by playing parenthood. I lost family members. I lost friends. But you know, Leah, there is peace during that persecution. There's peace knowing that you are on God's will. When you can go to sleep and close your eyes and you know that you're doing what God called you to do, you can die in peace because you know that you're in his will, no matter what's happening, no matter what turbulent you know, moment you're in. When, there's, when you're in God's will, there's peace, even though there's chaos on the outside. And that's what I had. That's, I think that's what kept me going. And it wasn't I, until years later that I started to see good fruits, you know? It was really hard in the Hispanic community at first. I can only imagine. I mean, I can only imagine you going public with a crowd that would be supportive. I right. mean, like that in and of itself right there um, is still something incredibly hard. Um, I share we, we both shared our testimonies at this conference together. And I just know from my own personal experience, when you get up, I mean, friends, this is, I mean, I don't think anybody, I don't know if you know, but like this, there's, there's, there's nothing easy about that. You get up in front of people and, um, we're human and there's temptation and there are spiritual attacks on us, trying to shame us and tell us that, you know, a, a million different lies into our own ears before we speak. And, um, to, keep us from maybe speaking truth, um, or feeling less than, and, and most of the time, at least for me, I've been in some warm audiences. I've been in places where I was relatively welcomed. Um, so I can't imagine actually going into that and, and, and then receiving such backlash um, because of the shame around this topic. No, I've had people and I still do. Um, but it was, it was, it was, a, it was more of a warfare at the beginning. I've had many people just stand up in the middle of my talk and walk out. Um, you know, when I, or when I get to the, Oh, and then I got pregnant a third time. You just, the audience, the audience starts to cringe and they do the whole, Oh, you know, and you, I have to stand on stage and look at their expressions of disgust towards my story. 
And I do have to constantly pray, Holy Spirit, please give me the strength to not cry and to keep going because it's very hurtful. But I know that, you know, it's for a greater good. I know. And, you know, and, 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 it, and it is painful, you know, but thank thanks to be God that today we have a lot of pro-life movements and groups in Latin America. So now it's different. They're very loving and welcoming. And, you know, I have many women that have healed in Latin America, many thousands and babies that have been saying, I mean, there's so many babies, thousands. Um, but yes, you, you, it, it, it's not easy still today, you know, to, to, to go up there and to, exp you're exposing yourself. You're basically just like our Lord was stripped on the cross we are stripping ourselves, you know, and we're basically extending our arms out, you know, and accepting these stones coming at us. Um, and it, it, it isn't easy, easy, but we know that it's for his glory. We know it's not about us anymore because I always say this, when you serve God, you know, I, this is, this is why my book is called transfigured. Um, I think, you know, a transformation is be a better version of yourself. I, I don't know. I kind of find that superficial. You know, you can eat better. You can do exercise. You can look better and feel better. But I always say this, Leah, how, be, how about being no version of yourself? <laughs> how about you die? How about you put yourself to the side? And how about you live, Christ live inside of your brokenness? So when people look at you, they don't look at you anymore. They see him through you. How about you be transfigured? Because a transfiguration is not a transformation. It's not super. It's something that goes so deep. It penetrates the soul. It goes deep down inside and it changes that that's what's buried those wounds that are deep 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 down there and it makes you cross christ-like it's it's very deep a transfiguration so you know when you're on stage you die it's no longer you you're you're proclaiming him inside of you what he's done his glory his mercy his greatness and that's what we do we strip ourselves so that he can live in us and people can see us you know, just like our Lord, but it is, it's still hard today, you know, um, to share this experience. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm so, um, incredibly grateful that, uh, that you are doing that and you are a light for Christ and you are speaking truth and you are not letting fear or shame have the last word, um, that you have obviously, uh, receive the mercy of Jesus Christ, that you are living that out every day. And I'm, there, there's so many things that you spoke about that are just really important about the new age stuff, like of opening doors, obviously Planned Parenthood and the education that they gave you as a young, as a young woman, your, your family situation that obviously contributed to, to that in different ways. Um, the post-abortive syndrome, I'm so happy you brought up that. That was something we should have a whole different podcast on. I, I completely think we should. Um, to really uncover what, what what's going on with that, um, that so many people are still struggling with to this day. Uh, with all of that, like, tell us, um, I mean, as you share this story and what you're doing now, how has, like, what has God done in your life since then? I mean, outside of like, yes, the apostolate that you have for speaking on life matters and chastity, but like, I want to know about <laughs> you and your personal life. Like, like, where is your heart, Patricia? Like, how is God taking care of you? And, 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 and what has he done to kind of bring things full circle for you? So I, you know, woke up one morning and I, I told God, you know, I'm really tired of failing in my relationships. Um, I feel that all these ex-boyfriends that I have, I gave them this piece of me, a special piece of me, you know, by having intimacy that didn't really belong to them. 
And I started, I mean, at my late 20s, I mean, this is embarrassing, but it's the truth. Um, I started to learn about chastity. I had no idea what chastity was, even in my 20s. Um, even during my conversion, I still didn't know what it was. Um, so at my late 20s, you know, I, I go and give a, a, a talk about my story. And, you know, at this talk, there somebody else gave a chastity talk. And I was like, the 14-year-olds in the crowd, like, whoa, what? I mean, I was like a child, like, learning about these things. And, you know, I thought I was going to go give, but I really received at this conference. And I told God, you know what? You have somebody for me. So I'm going to give my chastity to you and I'm going to start all over. And I tell kids all the time, if you're not pure today, it's okay. Tomorrow's a new day. And if you fail, you know, it's okay. You get yourself back up and you go to confession until you perfect that virtue. It's possible, you know, and it takes time. It's not easy, but you can perfect it. And so um, I gave, you know, my chastity and it was hard at first, um, but I was able to become, you know, to, to live a pure life for 10 years before I met my husband. Didn't, like I said, I, I tell people all the time, I didn't think I'd get married because I would meet very good Catholic men and they would be very interested and they'd say, what would you, you know, what do you do for a living? And, I, and I, I'd always say, oh, well, I'm a public speaker. And that shame comes back, right? That shame, yeah. that, that little yeah. voice saying, all right, tell him you had three abortions. This guy's never going to call you back again. And that little voice would, you know, I could hear it. And I would say, you know, I give talks on my three abortions and my drug addiction and working at Planned Parenthood and they would never call. I would never see them again. Um, but I knew it had to be somebody Christ-like, somebody very merciful, um, like Jesus that would, would, you know, that courageous, that would take that, you know, step up, step up and take that, you know, role as a, as a future husband, maybe. And I met my husband two years ago and we just recently married a year and a half ago and he blessed us with a daughter. Um, I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't think I would even be able to have a baby after three abortions. And we have a little, uh, seven month year old daughter. So we're just, we're just so, so blessed. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm beyond blessed because, Every time we pray our rosary, my husband always asks for the intercession of my three aborted children. And he always asks my, you know, he adopted, he spiritually adopted my aborted children. Um, and he says, my children, you know, when, he, when we pray, he says, you know, um, I want to pray and ask for the intercession of our children in heaven to take care of our daughter here on earth. And it's so healing to, to even find that, like God even went beyond what I asked. And he's very faithful. So um, I'm, oh, I'm experiencing, I'm experiencing motherhood um, for the, for the first time. So I'm, he's given me a family. So I'm so grateful to God. <laughs> I love your story so much. <laughs> You're just like bawling. Um, it's so good. God is so generous. He is so merciful. Um, so amazing. I, oh, Patricia, I just, Oh, you're one of my favorite people in the whole world. And I'm just so <laughs> thankful that you are here and sharing your story. I'm so thankful for our listeners to hear it. Let's, I'd love to have you back on if you would, sure. if you would um, be willing. Of course. Uh, and for, but for now, what's a challenge maybe that you could give our listeners as we wrap up? You know, we're, we're living in a time of war. Um, you know, this, this, it's, it, it's proven that there are more deaths, uh, of the unborn baby, the greatest war in all human mankind is against these innocent, pure babies. And, you know, they always say that God lifts up a saint in a time of crisis. And I just want to tell everybody that's listening that we're all called to be saints, but we're all called to defend life. Um, Leah's not the only pro-lifer on this podcast. I'm not the only pro-lifer. 
you know, we as Christians are called to run against the current. The definition of a Christian is basically running against the current and being brave. And even if you have to die for what you believe in or for what you speak, then you die. And that's what we are as Christians. And I just want to challenge everybody to really reflect, you know, have I really done anything um, to defend these babies, to end the biggest war that's going on now? in all of mankind, am I doing anything for these babies? Am I at least praying for them? You know, prayer is powerful. Am I, um, you know, am I contributing? Am I speaking to my children about chastity? Because we know that the root of all abortion is lack of chastity. And am I doing anything to help these unborn babies? And I just want everybody to ask themselves that question. You know, and I say I'm pro-life. I say that I'm against abortion, but am I really, um, am I really doing something about it? And that's the challenge that I just, uh, I want to give our listeners today. You know, Leah, God gave me, the Holy Spirit gave me a bomb the other day. I mean, I was at a talk and I was fasting all day. Um, and I just, God gave me this really deep revelation. As I'm saying, as I'm speaking, it just came out of my mouth. And I was even in shock after I said, it. I'm like, wow, that was the Holy Spirit. And I was telling, you know, everybody in my audience that the unborn today they're the martyrs of our time. They're the martyrs of the martyrs because not only are they martyred, but they're martyred by their own parents. But then the Holy Spirit came out with this other bomb after that. The unborn have never sinned. They're faultless. They have no condemnation. They're completely pure. We know that they're pure and they're innocent, but I think I've never, I myself never realized or contemplated how innocent and pure they are. So the saints of our, you know, the saints of our, 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 you know, the saints that we hear about in, in our Catholic history, yes, they've died virgins. Yes, they're martyrs, but they sinned. They had maybe a sinful thought or an intention, but these unborn babies have never had a sinful thought or an unpure intention. They have never sinned. They, their martyrdom is the closest thing to Jesus's martyrdom. martyrdom. They're the closest beings that have ever existed in all time that are the closest beings to Jesus Christ because they were martyred, pure, guilt, guiltless, without condemnation, without fault, without sin. Right. I mean, it goes, I mean back, it goes back to Genesis. I mean, with Cain and Abel and the first, you know, murder and... um the Lord said, I think it's, yeah, it's Genesis 4, 4, Genesis 4, 10 says, or something around there, like, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And that, yeah. that cry is still being heard today. Um, yes. Definitely. And I just feel that when we really do defend those unborn babies, we are really defending these beings that are just like Christ. They're Christ-like. I mean, they're the probably the purest form of our Lord than that have ever, ever, ever existed. And um, like I said, I just want to encourage everybody to be, you know, to be part of this uh, pro-life movement, to pray for them, to remember them in their rosary and their prayers. I believe that if every Christian were to defend life, like really defend life and take action, I, I, I do believe that abortion probably wouldn't exist in our country. Um, you know, yeah, and, and, and that's a fight we all can partake in. I love this challenge. And we will, what we'll do is we'll also include some links in the, in the show notes of different um, 
you know, national organizations that you could go support and help, but also do not forget about the pregnancy resource centers in your, in your town. Um, hopefully there are some in your city or where you, or where, where you live, where you can go and support resource centers that actually do support women and, um, and men in their pregnancies planned or unplanned, uh, that, 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 and that do not offer abortion. So there's a lot of great ways you can support the pro-life movement and that you can, um, take your prayers and, and do something a little bit more. Uh, that could be through donations of money or do donations of stuff for, for mamas and babies to keep that in mind. Like it just keeps going and going, but Patricia, I am so, so thankful for you and all of your work. Um, uh, this podcast is called do something beautiful. It's inspired by St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta and um, I'm, I'm honored to know you and I'm honored to speak with you and that you get to share your story because what you're doing is truly something beautiful um, for us who can defend, but for the uh, thousands and millions of, 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 of unborn children who do not have a voice and you are, bringing, um, you are bringing them into the light and you're bringing their stories and their lives into the light so that, um, so that we can join you in this fight to protect and defend life. Thank you so much, Leah, for having me on. And I do want to recommend, I have a book that came out about two years ago. It's called Transfigured. Um, people can log into my website. It's uh, www.patriciasandoval.com. I have um, all types of videos in Spanish and English. It's a bilingual uh, website. And um, my contact is there if anybody wants me for an, a speaking engagement. And my book can be purchased on Amazon or on uh, patriciasandoval.com as well. Yes, Transfigured, the book. That, trust me, that, that's going to be like one, the big thing you'll see in the show notes. That it is amazing. You won't be able to put it down. Um, I have it and I have not been able to put it down. I put it down for the podcast, but that was about it. Um, and that's me with my four small kids and one on the way. And I'm still picking up the book. So trust me, you can too. Um, yeah. And we'll make sure that we get everybody. If you want more information about Patricia, patriciasandoval.com, we will have all of that in the show notes. So don't you worry. Uh, you're definitely going to want to, especially if you work in the pro-life, um, uh, Arena, you're you're definitely going to want to bring Patricia in. She's a no-brainer. She's a knock-it-out-of-the-park type of a speaker. <laughs> Trust me, that comes from another speaker. Uh, she's excellent, excellent. One of the very best ones I have ever personally heard, hands down. I am going to wrap up a few more things. I want to leave you with this. I don't. I actually have never done this before, but I really feel called to to speak and to share this piece of scripture what Patricia has been doing, sharing her story, her story of such tragedy and story truly of mercy, which is where it all ends up is, is, is in the mercy of Jesus Christ and in conversion and in changing and um, not just that transformation, but the transfiguration of us into, into Christ as St. Paul tells us that we are not the old man, but we are the new man in Christ. So I want to actually wrap up and I want to share with you from the gospel of Matthew, something that has been on my heart for the past few minutes. And I feel like God is asking me to share this piece of scripture with you. So I know that I, I know, I know that there's someone who needs to hear this and it could just very well be me, but, um, but let's just see what the Lord wants to say to us in this. This is Matthew 10, um, uh, starting at verse 26, Jesus says, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. 
what I tell you in the dark, utter in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground without the Father's will. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's from the Gospel of Matthew, verses 26 through 33. And I just felt like I was, I had to do my duty from the Holy Spirit to share that with you right now. I am so thankful for you to listen to this amazing podcast. It truly is a great one because of all of my great guests. That's what makes this podcast so beautiful and so wonderful. And it is a honor to be able to do it for you and give it to you. Um, if you want to support this podcast, you can by going to patreon.com slash Leodaro. That helps us bring in guests like Patricia. That helps us do the work, spend the time, get everything ready for you. Um, so you can go there. I do have, very excited, we do have some more Patreon members who have just joined on the Do Something Beautiful wagon and they are helping bring this podcast to you by their support. This is definitely a group effort here, this whole work. So we've got some shout outs. Um, I've got Katie from Maryland, Sarah from California, Stacy from Georgia, Christy from North Dakota, Ariana from Texas, Roxy from New South Wales, Australia. How you doing, Roxy? Janae from Louisiana. Oh, Louisiana. I love my Louisiana people. Amy from Colorado and Lindsay from Minnesota. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, ladies, for supporting me. Um, you can, again, go to patreon.com slash Leodera if you want to support the podcast and help us do something beautiful and great and remember my friends whatever you do today whatever it is wherever wherever you are even if you're listening to this at the end of the day there is still something that you can do for the lord so do something beautiful for the lord god love you god bless and we'll talk to you later